and this is the word of the Lord. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, that's Jesus, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, uh, and paralytics, and he uh, healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from, be- from beyond the Jordan. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you uh, for your word, and especially that we have the words of Jesus, the teaching, the sayings of Jesus, words that he said, uh, full of life. Uh, full of truth, full of challenge, full of conviction. Uh, They are food to us. We ask that you would give your Holy Spirit uh, to guide us as uh, we study your word, um, that these words uh, would not uh, just fall on us with no power, but that you would give power to them, that they would uh, reveal to us the secrets of our hearts, and that we would fall down and say that truly um, God is here. God is among us, and that Jesus himself is God. And so uh, be our teacher now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So we are uh, looking this morning at this first encounter that Jesus has with uh, his disciples, calling of his disciples. And, um, uh, and, you know, it's usually my habit when we're looking at a passage like this that I try to cover everything that's in the passage and kind of all tie it in somehow into one topic. Um, but one of the things that I've uh, often tell our home group when we're studying the passage, I give them little tips or little about how do you interpret a passage, how do you know what a passage is about. And one of the kind of good rules of thumb when you're reading the Bible is that if Jesus talks, then that's probably the most important part of the passage. Whatever Jesus said, that's the most important thing. And in this passage, uh, we have Jesus saying two things. Uh, the first is he begins saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at, uh, at hand, right? Can, Luke's version is a little, uh, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then uh, in the next paragraph, he s- says this um, memorable uh, charge to uh, these fishermen by the Sea of Galilee. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This call to discipleship. And what I want to do, a little something different 
uh, this morning is I just want to look at that little phrase, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, because I think actually in that little phrase, I think that answers the question, why do I exist? What is life about? Why, why am I here? What am I doing with my life? Which is a major question that you should, we should all think about. We should answer. We, and you might think, oh, pastor, you're speaking hyperbole. Every passage of the Bible is answering why my life exists. And is, uh, but I think here's, here are the words of Jesus. Here's the beginning of his call to these disciples that he's going to entrust his ministry to. And, um, and so what I want to do is for us uh, to just focus in. You know, this is a good thing. When you read the Bible, there's, uh, there's kind of two ways of reading the Bible. It, sometimes it's good to just cruise through. You know, the Bible's a long book. And, you know, just cruise through books of the Bible. Try to get the idea. That's okay to do that. And, and you know, read, speed read it to try to find out what's the big picture. But there are other times where we focus in on a few words and we meditate on them. And then we let them kind of soak into us, and we really deeply internalize them. So that's what we're going to do this morning, is look at this little phrase, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I want to observe three things in that little phrase. The call to discipleship, the grace for discipleship, and uh, the mission of discipleship. Three things, the call, the grace, and the mission. And those three things really uh, summarize the, uh, the essence of what the Christian life is and what spiritual life is and what life with God is and why God made us. So these three things, the first is this, the call to discipleship. And um, they, uh, now in this passage, Jesus comes upon a few fishermen and uh, he says to them, follow me. And, uh, you know, it's kind of surprising, but, you know, they actually do it, right? They're in the middle of doing something. He said, and that's all he says. It's eight words in Greek. Uh, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, drop the nets. Yes, sir. What do you, there's this impulsive nature of what they're doing. Uh, it's almost surprising to us. And we say, is this, is this a real account? I mean, did it really? There's got to be more dialogue that happened here. But the way that uh, Matthew is trying to communicate it to us is that there is something impulsive about it. And I think that one of the things for us to understand is that all the most important decisions that we make in our life will be, have an element of being impulsive. They will be rash. Okay, I think, you know, you think about getting married. I think about this, you know, I've been married 10 years now. And I realize, I, you know, I have a wonderful wife. And so much of who she is, I, I had no idea that's what I was getting. You know, I thought she was cute. She loved Jesus. We got along. Sure, let's spend our whole life. I'll bind myself to you for my whole life. Sure. And no matter what, marriage is always going to be impulsive. You don't know what you're walking into. You don't know what it's going to be like in 10 years. And um, it, it's a risk. It's a gamble. That's why it's romantic. You're, you're jumping into something that's irrevocable. And, uh, and all of, you know, if you take, make a big decision in your life, it's always going to have that element of risk, that element of unknown. And here, Matthew is painting the picture of the call to discipleship, having that element in it. You don't know everything that you're in for. And uh, you won't know all the ramifications. And uh, our spiritual life has that element as well. And, you know, I, I think this is important because most people in our culture, when they talk about spirituality and I'm a spiritual person, it's generally in the kind of the language of I'm on a spiritual journey. And I've, I'm asking lots of questions. And I'm, 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 I'm never going to come to a full knowledge of the answer. And, you know, I'm progressing along. I'm on a path. Now, I would agree with that, you know, 
Our spiritual life is something that we grow in. We learn more about God. We learn more about ourselves. We learn how to love people, and, and the Bible transforms us. But there's this other element to it. There's another side that there is this black and white decision. Will you follow me? And Jesus has made a command. Follow me. And it's either I'm going to or I'm not. And actually, the beginning of the journey, you're not on the journey. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the way, the truth, and life. I am the path. If you're going to be on the journey, you want to be on the journey, I'm the path. So you got to get, <laughs> you have to follow me if you want to be, be on the spiritual path. And so there's this um, pressing decision that uh, is, is a big part of the Gospel of Matthew. And um, here in this passage, Jesus calls these disciples uh, to follow him. And uh, what we see is kind of two sides, two parts of the call of Jesus, the external call. There's an external call uh, that where, you know, Jesus says, Jesus says to all people, follow me. Give your allegiance to me. He says that to all people. It's kind of an external thing outside of us. And yet there's also an internal thing that's happening, right? There's, we're kind of amazed that these, these fishermen drop their nets and they leave their family and they just go follow Jesus. Something's happening inside of them. So there's two sides of the call. There's the external call and the internal call. And what we see in this passage is that the external call of Jesus, the pronouncement that he makes to all people, follow me, is authoritative. The external call is authoritative. And um, what Jesus says is, you, you and me, by nature, our nature is to live our lives for ourselves, to serve myself, to make myself happy. Um, and that is the, the main preoccupation of our life. And he says, if, you, if that's what your life is about, is just about making you happy and about serving yourself, then you're lost. And so he says, you need to leave that and follow me, and I will make you into, I'll make your life not about yourself. I'll make your life about bringing glory to God and loving other people and serving other people. And actually, you'll find that way more fulfilling. And so there's this authoritative call where he says, uh, um, uh, follow me. And, what, you know, the thing to observe about that, that as Christians we don't always see is this isn't an invitation. You know, we usually think of we're making an invitation, you know, come, you know, and there, there's some of that in the Bible where Jesus' disciples say, come and see what life's like with Jesus. But here he's making a demand. It's a command. He's saying, I'm, I'm demanding of you to follow me. It's not a question. It's imperative. It's like, hey, do you guys want to come be with me? No. It's, it's come and follow me. And um, I am the king of the world, and I'm commanding you to give me your allegiance. And so what that means is that ultimately, the, whether we decide to obey the call of Jesus is not so much a matter of our intellect. Can we figure it out? It's a matter of our will. Will I follow him? Will I make the plunge? Uh, will I go into the thing that I don't know what all the ram I don't know everything that Jesus has for me. Will I make, do I trust him? And will I, will I obey the command? But um, the, and I think for most of us, if we heard that call, we'd say, well, I need to think about it for a little bit. And so it's kind of odd to us that here, that's not what happens with these disciples. They just go. And so the other thing that we see about the call is not just that the external call is authoritative, that it's a king commanding us to obey. It's uh, the, the internal call is irresistible. The call that Jesus doesn't, not just the external call to follow me, but the call that he gives us inside our hearts and our souls when he calls us is an irresistible call. 
And, um, you know, two times, verse 20, uh, Jesus says, follow me. And it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And again, in verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And so um, not only is it, there's this, you know, Jesus is the king saying, you need to follow me. But also there's internally, there's something stirring up in there. There's something moving these men very deeply. And... Um, I think that uh, it's almost like it was impossible for them to say no. I couldn't say no. I had to do it. I, have to, I had to go after him. And, you know, many people say this is their experience of being, becoming a Christian. I was compelled. I was, I was drawn. You know, actually, Shannon's da- my wife Shannon's dad, uh, he's told me this story many times. When he became a Christian, he was 13 or something. He was in a church. And he said, it, you know, it was a Baptist church. They were having an altar call. And he was like, I was pulled out of the seat. I was drawn forward to give my life to Jesus, to follow him. It was, there was something pulling in me. I was compelled. And um, what that tells us is that the, the reason that the internal call is, is irresistible is for a couple reasons. First of all, because of the working of God within, inside of us. God has to work inside of us. And um, I think uh, that most of us, when you look at a passage like this, guys, these, these fishermen leave their vocation, they leave their families just to follow Jesus. Something supernatural must have been happening inside of them. And actually, that's what Jesus says in other places. He he says in John chapter 6, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Unless there is an internal working that faith to trust Jesus is a gift that God gives to our hearts gives to our hearts, gives to our souls. And so that when Jesus is calling people, you know, it's not so much that Jesus is saying, oh, please, will you be my disciple? I want you to be with me. Uh, which, you know, a lot of times that's kind of how we talk about Jesus is begging people to come to him. It, he doesn't do that. He's a king. And, he's, and when he calls people, they do come. When he, he gives them the internal call, they do come. And so what it's more like, instead of him begging people to come, it's kind of like in John 11 when Jesus' uh, friend Lazarus dies. Jesus is weeping, he's sad, and he goes to this tomb, and Lazarus is dead, and what does Jesus say? Lazarus, come out of there. Lazarus, rise up. And, you know, Lazarus is dead. He's not sitting there saying, do I want to come, do I not want to come? He rises up and he goes. And it, because of the, the call of Jesus had that power that drew him out. And what the Bible says is that by nature we are spiritually spiritually dead. That's what the Bible says. We have no life with God. It's not our nature to seek God and to love God. And so unless Jesus comes like he comes to Lazarus and and calls us and says, follow me, and has this internal working, then uh, we're not going to come. And so there's a supernatural power that happens. But also, I think that the internal call was irresistible because, not just because of the working of God, but also because of the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus. And actually, our, our home group talked about this passage this last week. And then actually, we had some discussion on faith life. Uh, I was asking some questions about this passage on faith life. And both in home group and on faith life, a number of people kind of observed that uh, the thing that really is compelling about this passage is, you know, these, these fishermen leave their vocation, their families to go follow Jesus. And they said there must have been something about Jesus that was attractive to them. They saw him and they said, sure, I, I want to be with you. I've, I could be with Jesus. I want to follow him. There's something that was magnetic about him. It was the person of Jesus that was drawing them that was irresistible. And uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, said, uh, said this in, in, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Not a word of praise is given to the disciple for his decision for Christ. 
Not a word of praise. It's not, there's not something amazing and special about these fishermen. There's something amazing and special about Jesus. Um, that's why they wanted to go be with him. He says, uh, we are not expected to contemplate the disciple, but only him who calls. Jesus who calls. He is the one who is irresistible that they had to be that they wanted to be with is because of this, this person. And, um, and, you know, the call of Jesus, when he says, follow me, uh, when he says, uh, make me the center of your life, the center of your existence, of why you exist, that's a deeply personal call. Because he doesn't just say, go do something. He says, come and be with me. Be my companion. Be my friend. Walk with me. So, the, you know, part of the call is not just to, to go do something like you're some kind of slave that has a task, but it's an invitation to relationship to walk with Jesus. And I, I put a, a quote from you on your, in your bulletin on page three. This is from Dallas Willard. He says, I think we finally have to say that Jesus' enduring relevance is based on his historically proven ability to speak to, to heal, and empower the individual human condition. He matters because of what he brought and what he still brings to the ordinary human beings living their ordinary lives and coping daily with their surroundings. He promises wholeness in their lives. And listen to this line. In sharing our weakness... He gives us strength and imparts through his companionship a life that has the quality of eternity. Jesus is calling us to companionship to him, to walk with him, to, ha- to share life with him. And that, I think, is what was attractive to the, the fishermen, is this person. I'm not just uh, being called to do something. I'm called to be with someone, to relationship. And um, that's the question for us. Do we know relationship with God, relationship with Jesus? And that's what the call is to. Um, but uh, Dillard also makes this observation that he promises wholeness for their lives. He's not just making a call to be with him, but he's also promising them wholeness. And that's the second thing that we see is not just the call to discipleship in this passage, but also the grace for discipleship. The grace for discipleship. This is a passage that I think is loaded with grace. And I think, you know, at least for me, for most of us, when you read a passage like this where Jesus comes to these men, he says, follow me, leave everything and follow me. We think of it as a very demanding passage. Very demanding. Wow, I have to, it's sacrificial. But what you see is um, in Jesus, these little eight words, he says, follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. I'm going to work on you. And um, what that means is uh, that when we respond to the call of God and say to Jesus, my life is yours, we're not primarily making a resolution that I'm going to live a certain way. I'm going to do certain things. Now I'm committed. There's an element of that. We repent. We turn from our sin. But what we're doing is we're giving ourselves into his hands. And he says, follow me and I will work on you. I will make you. I'm going to craft you. I'm going to form you. And uh, I think it's important for us to notice that Matthew gives us zero about anything about these fishermen. All we know is they fish. There's nothing remarkable about them. There's nothing that's special about them. And if anything, it's the opposite. Um, you know, starting back in verse 12, let me read this passage again, the beginning of this passage. Uh, now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth. So Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth is this little town in the hills in Galilee in the northern part of Palestine. You know, it's at the most 500 people in this village. This is where Jesus lived and grew up. I mean, 
he's in the margins. He's in the nobody land with nobody cares about. And then it says, and he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way, uh, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, that's Galilee of the nations. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death, on them light is dawn. Let me just summarize what that means, is that Jesus, uh, Naphtali and Zebulun in, the, uh, in Israel, in the land of God's people, was the, were the most northern uh, territories of that land, which was right on the borders of all the nations. And so it was this place where... God's people were kind of intermingled with all these pagan nations. And, you know, they didn't take the law, God's law, nearly as seriously, the Bible. And, and so there are these margins, and it's the last place that you would go to go find your leaders if you're, if you're the Messiah or if you're this rabbi and you want to find, this, you know, prime disciples. This is not where you go. You go to Jerusalem. And yet he's in the margins. He's in Nazareth in this little village. He's talking to, to, to fishermen, and he says to them, follow me. There's nothing exceptional about them. He says, I will make you. And the main thing that he's saying is that this is an offer of grace. This call is, is a call to grace, to experience grace, that God will work on you. And, um, and so discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus, is not about proving to God that we are good and faithful. We are not trying to prove to God that uh, we are good and faithful. It is an act of surrender. We are surrendering to him and say, here's my life. Make of it what you will. Form me. You know, I think this little line, I will make you, that Jesus says, you know, it makes me, the image that comes to mind is the potter and the clay, you know, that the Bible uses, that God is a potter with a clay and he's pressing into us, he's forming us, he's shaping us. And especially it's the image of an artist, right? That Jesus is saying, I'm an artist. And, and what does an artist do? An artist pours himself into his artwork. He cares about his artwork. He's passionate about it. And that's what Jesus does with his disciples. Follow me in the, in the amount of passion that, a, that an artist pours into his artwork. That's what I'm going to pour into you. That's how devoted I'm going to be to you, how much thought I'm going to give into to crafting you and forming your way and teaching you in the ways that I teach you to make you who I want you to be. And so um, the big, one of the big things this is um, of becoming a disciple is really is, is a, a call to, to grace. Not for me to work for God, but for God to work on me. And, you know, I, I'm a part of this uh, little pastor's group that gets together uh, every, twice a year. We go away for about 24 hours, kind of check in on how's, how's your ministry going and what struggles are you having. Let's pray for each other, talk about things. And uh, one, this last one that we had, almost everyone was saying, you know, they were all about three years into, into their ministry about like me. And, and what they said was, you know, I really wish I had kind of a, a father figure in, in my ministry, someone that was just pouring into me, someone that was checking in on me, asking how are things going, giving me counsel and, and, and advice, and, which I think is, is very powerful. Um, you know, certainly something for many of us to meditate on. I know many of you feel that, that same desire. And, but one of the things that they're asking for is they're asking for what Jesus says he will give to us. I will make you. I will pour into you. I will be with you. I'll listen to you. And so um, the call to discipleship, it is a call. It's authoritative, but it's deeply personal. Jesus is deeply personal. He's calling us to be his, uh, his companions, and it's loaded with grace. But what we also see in this passage is that Jesus' grace, the grace that he's showing us in this, where he says, I will make you, 
is grace for a task. He's giving us grace. He's pouring into us. He's coming after us in order to prepare us for a task. And this is the third thing we see in this passage is the, um, the mission of discipleship. And one of the things that's actually unique about Jesus, you know, Jesus is a rabbi. He's, a, you know, he's walking around teaching. He's Jewish, uh, Jewish, you know, wise man, sage or whatever. And uh, the, what was normal, you know, for a rabbi, first of all, they didn't tell people to come be their disciples. They maybe invited people, you know, do you want me to be, you want to be my disciple? You want to work something out here? And, uh, you know, that was a privilege to be invited by a, a rabbi. But also when a rabbi invited you uh, to, to be their disciples, mainly so they could teach you. I'm going to download a body of information, the, the kind of the traditions of, of Judaism, and I, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to be your teacher. But Jesus does something different. He, he says his primary task with them is not to teach them, but to, to do something. We are going to do something. We are going to do a mission together. I will make you fishers of men. I have something for you to go out into the world and to do. And a couple things that we see about this mission. The first is that the mission is a lifestyle. Jesus' mission for his disciples is a lifestyle. And um, I'll, uh, you know, this uh, image that Jesus chooses for his disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men, was always kind of an uncomfortable picture for me. I, actually, I, before I was a Christian, you know, when I was first a Christian, it kind of, in my impression of preachers, I thought this was actually, actually, that's probably about right, but um, it, not a very positive picture. You know, I picture preachers kind of baiting people with, Eternal life. You know, I'll give you eternal life if you come. And then there's a hook on there and, you know, the rip, you know, catching fish. And, and it's kind of like, okay, you're going to be catching fish. I don't want to be the fish that's getting caught. And, uh, you know, it sounded like bait, you know, bait and manipulation. And I, so I was kind of troubled of wh- why do I want to be fishing after people? Um, the, it doesn't go well for the fish, right? And, um, but then it occurred to me that Jesus is talking to fishermen. And when I think of fishing, I think of the hook going through the cheek and the fish out of water squirming and, you know, get me back into my home and uh, painful. But for them, when they think of fishing, they think of their whole life. They think of uh, what they spend all day doing. They think of being out in the water. They think about their, they know how to tie nets and they, uh, they have nets in their house and they talk about fishing on their lunch and they, they study fishing. They study the ways of the fish and what they do and they eat fish and they go to the market. Their whole culture and the, the society around them is all about fish. They're immersed in an atmosphere of fish. That is their whole identity. Their whole culture is that they're fishers. And he says, now I'm going to make you fishers of men. That whole identity, the thing that you're going to be studying, the thing that you're going to be obsessed with, that you're going to be passionate about, the thing that that drives you and says, this is my vocation, this is my meaning for getting up in the morning, answering that first question of why do I exist, is you're going to be fishers of men. That's going to be your whole, the the devotion of your mind is studying people. And it's, you know, it's funny actually, there's a parallel passage to this in Luke uh, chapter 5 where... uh, Jesus is talking to Peter again, uh, and he's in a boat. And it's hard to say whether it's the same scene or another scene, an episode that happened with Peter. But uh, Jesus says to Peter, Peter's been fishing all night. He says, yeah, why don't you try throwing your net on the other side of the boat? And Peter says, I'm I'm a master fisherman. You're from the hills. I live by the sea. I know how to fish. And 
okay, Lord, I'll try throwing it on the other side. I've been trying all night. And he throws it on the other side, and he pulls in this great catch of fish. And then he falls down, and he says, you know, go away from me. I'm not, I'm not worthy uh, to be in your presence. He falls down uh, before Jesus. It's this deciding moment in Peter's life because Peter was a master fisherman, and Jesus beat him <laughs> at what he was a master at. And then that, that's what drew him to say, okay, I'll be a fisher of men. You're my new master. I'm not the master. And so this transformation between a whole life that's surrounded around, preoccupied with fish, is now you're going to have, this is, your preoccupation is going to be with people and with Jesus' mission. And, you know, of course, there's a question here of, here's these fishermen, and and what did they do? They left their jobs, right? It says they left their nets, and they went, and they became full-time missionaries and, well, disciples, and then they were apostles. And, you know, is that the call for everyone to leave their job and to go, you know, serve Jesus? And certainly, you know, that happens with people. I was going to be a math professor was my original calling. Jesus called me to go plant a church and be a pastor, and that does happen with people. I, I think Calvin kind of, John Calvin says that's the main thing that this passage is talking about. But I think that this call to follow, when Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, is something that he's saying to everyone. And I'll tell you why. It's because um, in the Bible, this metaphor of fishers is, is used all over the place, actually of the sea. And the sea in the Bible is always a picture of the nations, of all the people who don't know God, the Gentiles, the, the people that are outside the people of God, the kind of lost world out there. And, uh, and then the land is always a picture of God's people and, you know, Israel and the people that God had drawn to himself and he had a relationship with. And so, uh, so for example, in Isaiah, it talks about, you know, when the Gentile nations are going to invade Israel, uh, it was this picture of the waters are going to come flood the land. Those are the Gentile nations coming. And so when he says you're going to be fishers of men, what is he saying? Is he saying come, come live in the church, come hang out with Christian people all the time? <laughs> no, he's saying I want you out in the waters. I want you out in the sea. I want you out among the world and among the people. And if anything, maybe he's saying you shouldn't leave your job. I want you in your job. I want you rubbing shoulders with people who don't know me. I want you in your neighborhood. I want you to have uh, other kinds of relationships because that's where you're going to be doing my mission. And one of the biggest things for us to take away from this is when he says we're being called to be fishers of men is that our mission, the task that he's calling us to, is to be done wherever you are right now. You're already in the world. And who's already there? Who are already your neighbors? Who are already the people that you talk to all the time uh, at work and uh, that, you, that you're having interactions with and you, it never even occurred to you, you know, maybe I should ask this person a little deeper about their life. And, you know, they gave me a little, uh, I've mentioned this to you before, that, that people uh, give us little flashes of their hearts. They give us little flashes. You know, they might say something like, oh, yeah, that was a, you know, I went home with my family, and, oh, that's a disaster. Anyways, and back to, you know, what did they just do? They just gave you a little flash of their real life. And it's an invitation for us to say, hey, so what's, you know, gently, if we're not pushing, if we're if we're safe place, if they know we're a safe place, say, hey, tell me more about that. And they tell you about their family. They tell you their story. You're there, wherever you are, in your neighborhood, around your neighbors, have someone over for dinner. This is, you don't need to leave that. And so uh, the call to be fishers of men means to stay in the world, to be in the world where uh, God is drawing people to himself. And, um, and so, uh, but, hold on, I just got lost. Where am I? Okay. Uh, 
So what that means is that the mission of Jesus is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. Like fishing was a lifestyle for these fishermen, the mission of Jesus is something that we're doing. It's our new atmosphere that we live in. The other thing that we see about the mission in this passage is that the mission is about people. The thing that we are now becoming preoccupied with, that we're fascinated with, that they were fascinated with fish, they studied fish, they thought about fish, they ate fish, is now that same level of interest and fascination is I'm going to make you fishers of men, of people. And, um, and so uh, what happens is when we become disciples of Jesus, we become fascinated with people, all kinds of people. Who are they? People that we would have just looked right past before. They would, have had, they would have meant nothing to us. Oh, you're no value to me. You're either an obstacle or you're something that, someone that helps me get further in my life. Now every person is an, a person made in the image of God. Someone um, that Jesus uh, is maybe drawing to themselves. Someone uh, who's hurting and lost. And someone that God has put us in their life. And so we have this fascination of, of, of talking to people and learning from them. And uh, what we see here, uh, what's going to happen with these disciples, Jesus says, come and follow me. And Jesus' pattern of training his disciples is he says, come and be with me and watch what I do. And then in Matthew 10, we're going to find out. He's going to say, okay, now I want you to go do it. But you come back and we'll talk about it, see how it went, okay? And then when Jesus dies... He rises, uh, dies on the cross. He raises three days later. Forty days later, he ascends into heaven. He goes back to heaven, and then now he ha- leaves the mission to them. So there's these three steps. I do it. We do it. You do it. <laughs> and what we see in this passage is the first step of that, of the I do it and you watch. Look at verse 23 again, right? And he went through all Galilee. This is Jesus. Went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the, the gospel of the kingdom. So there's a teaching. There's a word part to his ministry, a teaching and proclamation part, word. And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So there's word and deed. He's teaching, proclaiming about who God is, and caring for people's needs, loving people, meeting them in their brokenness. Uh, so fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And so he says to these disciples, come and follow me, and then immediately after he says, watch what I'm doing. I'm proclaiming and I'm serving. I'm speaking to people about God, and I'm loving them. I'm entering into their brokenness. I'm in a part of it. This word and deed ministry, they're watching him do it. And um, what's going to happen is that when they're with him, and he's also loving them, he's proclaiming to them, and he's serving them, they're going to be captured by that and say, I want that to be my life. I want that to be the purpose of my life, what Jesus is doing. And actually, I, I just saw a couple days ago this old picture uh, from when we lived in St. Louis, and it was of my son Will when he was, he was about two or three. He was dressed up in this um, uh, Batman pajamas, and he had these Batman sunglasses on, and he had a sword, and I don't know if Batman has a sword, but mixing uh, characters. But, the, uh, but I remember when he was wearing that, actually, we watched the movie uh, Hook together. And uh, if you've seen that movie, that it's about Peter Pan. And at the end of the movie, uh, there's this the big battle scene where the Lost Boys come onto the ship, and they're fighting Hook and the pirates. And Will, you know, he's about two or three, and he's got his sword. He's got the gear on. He's ready. And we're watching on our computer in our living room, just right on the table there. And he starts yelling at the computer, me go there, me go there. And he started jumping behind the computer. And he was trying to get into the battle. 
me, I want in that, right? He was trying to get into the story. He was captured by the story. And he says, I have a place. I want to get in the game. And what Jesus is doing is he says, come and follow me. Watch me proclaim about who God is. Watch me love and serve people. And this is what I have for you. And the disciples say, I want me go there. Me get in the game. This picture, the call, the grace, the mission, this is the Christian life. This is the meaning of our life. And it's pictured us for here, here in, this, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. And just may God's Spirit just be at work in us, showing us where he is calling us, where he is working on us, and where he's uh, charging us to, to be fishers of men in the world. Let's pray together. Our Lord, so much in these little passages, teach us to meditate on your word. And I pray that these words would not be things that we just uh, think about and say, wow, that's interesting. Would these words form us? As you say to your disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Will you make us? Will you form us? Will you shape us? Will we be your artwork? Would you pour into this church, this community, that we would be serving our community in word and deed the way you did in this passage? So we ask uh, for your grace, your leading. Help us to encourage one another and press one another forward, we ask in Jesus' name.